Mudinis Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Grab your Ukraine football yearbooks and rekindle your interest in Arabic commentary because the Champions League is back. We round up match day one from Atleti to Zenit as Europe's greatest go head-to-head. All the info you need plus a little bit extra because it's you in this Totally Football Show European edition in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. It's Tuesday, the 20th of October. I'm here with Alvaro Romeo. Hola, Alvaro. Hola, James. How are you? I'm very well. Also here, James uh, Horncastle. Sí, sí. Uh, buenas tardes. <laughs> uh, Rafael Honigstein. Hello. And Julian Rons. Bonjour. Bonjour to you, Jules. And as I say, 20th of October, it is day one of a brand new Champions League season. We're going deep on that today. Is everyone excited? I'm very excited. Me too. That's nice. That's not all we're going to be talking about, though, listener. Rest assured, because we've got other headlines. Mm. Uh, Like, for example, if everyone could just give me a quick one-liner on uh, some other massive story from their league. Alvaro? Well, it has to be that Real Sociedad is topping the Spanish table, uh, which is very, very impressive. We have had six different leaders in as many games in La Liga. Wow. What about in Italy, James? There isn't a new king in Milan, James. There is a god. And that is Latan, yes. who uh, was very much the, uh, the match winner in uh, Saturday's Derby della Madonnina. Well, there's a god in Milan. The goddess uh, had a bit of a rough weekend. We'll hear about that later on. Uh, Raf, Schalke fans are on the march. They're marching, although Schalke actually got a draw, which is, you know, not too bad against Union Berlin, but still without a win in oh, how many games now? Since January, any, in any case. Wow. Um, that was one of the big stories, but um, it was actually a weekend without big stories. Lots of small ones, though. And that in itself was the story. What about in Liga, Jules? Lille are the new leaders, the leaders after winning the Derby du Nord against uh, Lens. Kings in the north. Exactly, that's how they, um, they also celebrated it. Uh, 4-0, Lens had two red cards, but it was a really strong performance from Lille, who are still unbeaten in Ligue 1, five wins and two draws. Wow, we're going to fit all that into today's show, along with a forensic examination of the first round of the Champions League, which all begins next with a quick trip to Paris. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Paris Saint-Germain listener, 4-0 winners this weekend against Nîmes and hosting Man United this evening, if you're listening on Tuesday. Jules, you don't need me to remind you what happened last time Man United 
uh, came to visit. I can if you like. Why is this time going to be different if you think it is? It's a good question. I mean, I think it, it would be different because to start with, it's not a knockout stage game. So, you know, it's, even if United win, PSG can still qualify for the last 16. So you certainly won't have the drama and the trauma potentially for PSG than the one uh, 18 months ago. I think, I think, however, it's, it's very important psychologically for PhD to put things right after what happened at the Parc des Princes. However, I still still believe that the way PhD play, and we heard Thomas Tuchel at lunchtime during his press conference saying, you know, we want to control the ball, we want to control the game, have a lot of possession, which means that United will have to play on the counter-attack, which is what they prefer. So I think this game and the way PhD play is perfect for United. Can United do again what they did 18 months ago? I'm not so sure. And they certainly will, I think, consider a lot of chances too because this PSG team going forward is so strong. But I, I also think that United will create some, some chances. So it will, I think, go down to who takes them the best. Well, 3-1, uh, rather unexpectedly, it was for Man United uh, when they visited in March 2019. Since then, Paris Saint-Germain have gone on to become Champions League finalists uh, while United, on the back of that result in Paris, handed the job to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, with kind of ups and downs along the way, ever since. What, what does everybody think about United's prospects in this game? I don't think they have, they have a chance of winning Champions League. I think that they can still be competitive in the, in the direct duels. Uh, but uh, they, they have this big problem, Manchester United, that uh, they've got many players underperforming. And I think that this is, going to, this is unacceptable in Champions League, and especially if you have a defence in which uh, no defender seems to be... Um, tremendously reliable and uh, they've got this this team in which the best players are not doing their best football we don't know if uh, Paul Pogba is going to play like uh, against France uh, sorry with France the other day or like with Manchester United many days and um, we don't know if uh, the attacking three of Manchester United will be capable of uh, being at their best and I believe that uh, if you want to be competitive in the Champions League or even in the Parc de France uh, you have to you have to have more certainties in your team. That United defence up against Mbappe, who got another brace this weekend, but also Neymar, who was rested in the 4-0 win on Friday. It's quite a thought. Ageos. It is, and in fairness, Mbappe is, I, I don't know, he's just looking so good. I mean, Liga is too easy for him. We, we've known that for a long time now, but he still seems to be taking his level up again. Uh, I thought he was incredible on Friday night against Nîmes, considering he just played two days before with France against Croatia and three days before that with France against Portugal. And I just think that he doesn't look tired. He, he I mean, everything he does pretty much is, is spot on. It's, it's really impressive. And I think, like I said before, I do think that Neymar is playing very good as well at the moment. We saw Rafinha for his debut doing really well. Danilo Pereira could... Um, start as well on, on Tuesday night because Marco Verratti is out, Paredes is out as well, so that might be a good option for Tuchel in midfield. It's just that it's a really good um, time, I think, for PSG and Heldi Maria is back from the suspension in the league. So there's, there's a lot of good things. However, I still think that psychologically there's a bit of, of trauma from that defeat against United and I just don't know how they will approach the game. If the comparison between Ron Ronaldo, uh, the Brazilian, and Mbappé uh, ever made any sense... 
uh, you have to see Mbappe's first goal uh, last Friday because uh, it resembled Ronaldo perfectly, the way he rounded up the goalkeeper to score. It was a fantastic goal. The only thing is, Ronaldo was always a number nine. You know, he, he played as a kid as a number nine. You could clearly see that everything he did was from holding the ball up to the, the runs that he could make. Everything was just, it was the pure centre forwards. Kylian Mbappe, I don't think, has the same bearings as a number nine than Ronaldo had. You know, he's, this is a winger pretty much since a very young age who never really played centre-forward or when he did play centre-forward always played as a second striker next to Falcao for example or next to Giroud with the national team and I don't think that his attributes are really the ones of a proper real number nine and I think he will work on it and he might become the best number nine in the world at some point but right now I still think you can see in his game that he's just not ready for that that's why he naturally goes a bit more on the left-hand side than really staying in the centre with two centre-backs behind him his older play is not that good his linker play is not often good when he has to play back to goals because I just I just think this is all new for him still and he's only 21 so but at times you're right technically and in terms of skills He's he's very close to to the Ronaldo. The you heard it Ronaldo. here first. Kylian Mbappe, terrible player from Julian Ross. <laughs> it's a really good point I made, and you made a joke out of it. But it's a really good <laughs> point. You know, he's not just there yet in his evolution from a wide player to a centre forwards. He will improve at Real Madrid next season. <laughs> <laughs> So Group H is an interesting one. Uh, the presence of RB Leipzig in here, surprise semi-finalists, uh, last season in the Champions League, suggests that any drop points, even though this isn't a knockout game per se, could be catastrophic for either PSG or Man United's prospects of getting out of the group. Uh, RB Leipzig, who will be facing Basak Shahir, fresh themselves from a 2-0 win over Augsburg this weekend, which featured a goal from Yusuf Poulsen that made commentators do this. Bock, diese Abwehr zu beschäftigen und die werden viel zu tun haben, ihn jetzt zu bändigen. Und jetzt geht das Tor für RB Leipzig, Rafa, top of the Bundesliga, not missing Timo Werner at all. No, and that's the main story of the first four games of the season. As you said, 10 points. Uh, they look very good. They look more efficient in possession. They've also increased their possession. So they've become more of a Nagelsmann team, if you will, now in the second season. And of course, you know, it's impossible to say whether Timo Werner in the team would have perhaps even have them play better. But uh, they have found ways of um, making up for his departure, mostly through just adding midfielders. Uh, Paulsen scored the goal, but he didn't start. Uh, they had this uh, system where they played three attacking midfielders instead of a striker with Forsberg, Dani Olmo and Christopher Nkunku uh, um, playing in, uh, as three forwards effectively. And it helps them keep the ball, but it also I think makes it sometimes a little bit difficult to have that presence in the box. So uh, a team still developing, a st team still improving. And I think they have a chance. You, you'd still favour... PSG and Man United to go through but if for whatever reason uh, they should slip up and I don't think losing the game uh, necessarily is a big deal on Tuesday if then the losing side goes and wins the reverse fixture but if for example PSG or Man United drop points against uh, Basakshi here then I think Leipzig will be in a position to take advantage of that. Mm. Rafa, meantime, what about Dortmund, who Tuesday night are away at Lazio? Dortmund currently lying third, just a point behind uh, RB Leipzig, following their 1-0 win 
at Hoffenheim this weekend in the Bundesliga, which which saw the return of Marco Reus uh, with his first goal since January. Yeah, he um, and Erling Haaland came on late in the game to really make the difference. Uh, Dortmund with a, a wholesale rotation, some of it um, enforced through injuries, some of it um, because ahead of this uh, big game against Lazio, the uh, Ciro Mobile derby, uh, coming back to the place where he didn't enjoy a very productive season when Jurgen Klopp was still there, famously complained that nobody took him out for dinner and none of yeah. the teammates. Um, Germans are cold, Raf. That's been my experience as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the problem for Dortmund going into this game is that they don't have any players left at the back. Uh, Emre Can is suspended, going back through um, to a red he picked up for Juventus last season. Uh, Zagadou is injured. Akanji tested positive and won't be risked because um, Dortmund want to first see how, how he's doing after coming out of quarantine, so he won't be back in time. Uh, so there's a chance that uh, Delaney might still uh, be called upon to, to play at the back again uh, in this back three. Did a reasonable job against Hoffenheim, and uh, that would be a possibility, and they're still hoping that Piszczek might come back as well. He got a um, smack in the face and injured his eye against Hoffenheim, but I think he'll be able to play. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be really interesting. Um, I think one of the, the best games of, of match day one between two sides who are perhaps not perfect and have flaws, but I think those flaws will make it for such an entertaining game. Well, Lazio got more flaws than the Shard right now, eh, James Horncastle? <laughs> uh, losing this weekend 3-0 to Sampdoria. If you lose 3-0 to Sampdoria, what's going to happen when you take on the likes of Holland, uh, Sancho, uh, Joe Rayner and, and, and now Marco Royce as well. Well, this is the thing. Lazio, even though they addressed uh, some of the um, the lack of depth, let's say, that their squad has, which really came to the fore after lockdown um, and they collapsed afterwards, they still look vulnerable. It, it looks like um, something has happened there where maybe after four or five years of, of working under Simone and Zaghi, I wouldn't say something's gone stale between him and the players because I think there's there's a very good tight-knit group there. But certainly between him and the owner, Claudio Lotito, in this moment in time, Inzaghi complaining that they didn't do enough in the transfer window. Remember, there was the whole David Silva situation where Silva was supposed to sign and then basically jilted them and went to Real Sociedad. They wanted to sign Marash Kumbula from Hellas Verona, one of the most promising centre-backs in the league. He ended up going to Roma instead. And Inzaghi, who basically said, look, I might sign a new contract after the end of the transfer window, has still yet to sign a new contract. And I think that is a kind of big cloud um, over this team at the moment which um, a little bit like Dortmund is depleted. Um, I think that was one of the reasons why uh, they flopped so badly against Sampdoria um, at the weekend. Um, yeah, they were without their two kind of first choice wing backs. They were without centre backs at the moment. Immobile was suspended for that game. Um, so I don't really know what we're going to get from Lazio in what will be their first Champions League game in almost 13 years mm. um, in, in, in midweek. But yeah, as Rafa said, all eyes will be on uh, Ciro Immobile. Three goals in 24 matches in his one ill-fated season there in Dortmund. Uh, just on the subject of Samp, really nice to see 
Uh, Papa Ranieri doing well with them. A really tough start to the season for Samp, but they're now up in the top half of the table after a, a couple of uh, decent results. Lazio, meanwhile, have now lost exactly half of all their league matches since the restart of the last campaign back in June. Wow. OK. More of the midweek games to come. Uh, and next, we'll be uh, turning our attention to Group E, which features Chelsea, Sevilla, and also Rennes and Krasnodar. We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. You see? New normal, same old football. And that's why if one leg of your four-plus-fold ACA lets you down, you get your money back as a free bet on all football matches and all markets. The ACA Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Group E, Group E love. Want to hear about Chelsea and Sevilla? Are Chelsea going to blow it at home to a Spanish side in their opening game like they did last season? But first of all, Jules, Ren. Ren and Krasnodar, that's the big game. That's the big game indeed. First ever game in the Champions League at the um, the Roison Park, the stadium in Rennes. They will have fans as well because unlike in Paris or in Marseille, they're not in the, in the red zone in France. Uh, so they're not in. They don't have the curfew from uh, 9 p.m. in the evening. So all the PSG and Marseille game, at least for now, including Tuesday night against United in Paris, for example, will be behind closed doors. But Rennes will have 5,000 fans, which is great for them, I guess, because again, it's the first time that Champions League game would come to um, to Brittany. They have a bright young manager in Julian Stefan. They they have obviously Eduardo Camavinga in midfield, which is who is as the listeners know, um, uh, you know the latest prodigy in France. But they also have a, a good, solid team, great team spirit, a bit of talent, a bit of everywhere, uh, and and they will go into this competition thinking, do you know what? Let's let's we have no pressure. Let's do our best and see what we can do, especially against Chelsea and and Sevilla, the two strongest team in the in in the group. But if you start well against Krasnodar, then already you're you know you you will feel good about it. They're joint second at the moment in Liga with Paris Saint-Germain behind Lille. Is there a little bit of a sense that they're kind of in the Champions League on a technicality because the league happened to stop kind of midway through and they, you know, the music stopped and they they were near an empty chair, as it were? Yeah, I think you're right. I I think that had you played the last 10 games of the season, a team like Lille or even maybe Lyon could have easily come back and, and snatched that third place off them. But... They're there. Uh, they're certainly very happy. Remember the story when, uh, when they they were sure to be straight into the group stage and not having to go through the qualifiers, thanks to uh, what happened in the Europa League. And then at uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, the the guys in the stadium they had a party and they played the uh, Champions League anthem so loud that all the neighborhood could hear, because they were so happy to be there. So they were certainly, you know, be be um, be happy to be there. And even if they not completely deserved deserved it. They, they they had a good recruitment to make sure that they could, you know, do good in the competition and, and I guess make French football proud. Mm, excellent. All right. Elsewhere in this group though, it is Chelsea against Sevilla. Uh, I mentioned Chelsea beginning last season with that defeat at home to Valencia. Sevilla, a team more than capable of defeating an English side as they proved in the Europa League last year, doing Wolves, doing Man United before that 3-2 victory over Inter in the final. Alvaro, Sevilla. 
Yeah, um, good team, as you know. They haven't played in the Champions League for um, a couple of years because Valencia took that place of Sevilla in 2019 and in 2020. Uh, but uh, I believe that this is a good chance for Sevilla to prove themselves finally in Champions League. They've done great in the Europa League. They've won six titles this century. But in Champions League, they never made it through the quarterfinals. And I believe that this time they, they there is a good feeling about them because uh, they they are basically the core of the group that won the Europa League last season and last season means two months ago so. uh, not big changes uh, have been applied to the team uh, they are really similar if anything the, the goalkeeper now is confirmed that is Bono over Vaklic which is something that a year ago didn't happen Rakitic has been alright but Vanegas uh, compass and uh, control of the game is still uh, quite missed and mm. then Luke de Jong a striker who was uh, under the microscope for the last uh, six seven months now he's Sevilla's number nine and he has fortified his status as Sevilla's striker because he's scoring goals so I think that this is a good time for Sevilla uh, there are a few questions or question tags that uh, we have to answer whether Acuña will be the 75 percent of what Reguilón was uh, this is something that we don't know yet and uh, let's see if Lucas Ocampos can start playing uh, to his best level because uh, nor with Argentina neither with Sevilla this season he has been a, uh, capable of re replicating the the level that he, he shown in July and in August but mm -hmm. overall I think that Sevilla has a real chance of uh, coming out uh, first of this Champions League group um, let's see obviously how injuries uh, play out for them for example this time Jules Kunde, the best defender of Sevilla by far he won't be in the game he's out due to COVID-19 and yeah these little details may obvious, obviously uh, hinder Sevilla a little bit but uh, I am quite confident about them I mean they lost against Granada this weekend yes that's true but at the same time they were playing with 10 men uh, for the whole second half as well because Joan Jordan was sent off how confident are, are the Spanish or people in Seville about their prospects against the Chelsea team that concedes, what is it, 1.5 goals per game under Frank Lampard? And three corners, um, usually as well. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that I cover Premier League uh, as well. And I know that Sevilla fans are ra rather uh, pessimistic until they win. They are always demanding more from their team. So I am guessing that they, they won't be entirely happy until they, they win a title because it's always like this with Sevilla. And may I remind you that uh, in February 2020, uh, there were many, many voices in Sevilla that wanted Lopetegui out because the team wasn't playing well. So uh, that's what Sevilla is like. Um, but I see Chelsea every weekend and I know that Chelsea is the kind of team that will please the eye of an impartial fan. And Sevilla will be the kind of team that pleases the eye of someone who likes balance, control, someone who is more tactical. So I think that these two styles are going to clash in Stamford Bridge and uh, I'm really looking forward to it because I think that Sevilla is definitely capable of... Uh, containing and stopping a little bit uh, Chelsea's uh, never-ending attacking possibilities. Mm. Well, many games that look like they might be entertaining on, on Tuesday and indeed uh, the, the other group that's going to be in play uh, later on this day is Group G, which features two very big European names, both of whom are struggling so far uh, under new management, Barcelona and Juventus. Two OGs. Yeah. So... Um, 
Well, who do you want to start with? Should we start with Juventus, whose who's trip to Kiev is suddenly looking like a very delicate fixture, James? Uh, Andrea Pirlo, who's come in, a completely novice manager, no real time to prepare the team, not a lot of training time in between matches either. He's got Cristiano Ronaldo out with a COVID-19 positive. And uh, without him, the team only managed a, a 1-1 draw against the bottom team in Serie A this weekend. Yeah, against Cotone. And I think we do have to factor in that, yeah, the team that he has, I wouldn't say settled on because it's still early days, but yeah, the likes of Chiellini, can you rely on Chiellini to be fit, play every three days? I think one of the reasons why he didn't play at the weekend was because he played for Italy. Um, you've got McKenney, who's also got uh, COVID and uh, McKenney was... Uh, starting in midfield for the first couple of games that they played. Ramsey as well, who came back from international duty with uh, Wales injured. Um, and of course, uh, Ronaldo. And we yet to see Dybala yet, because Dybala um, has uh, had an injury, suffered one in the game uh, What prior to, to playing against Lyon in the Champions League last time around, has had a stomach bug, um, didn't play at the weekend. Um, so, in some respects, um, I would say feel some sympathy for Juventus, but they do have a very deep squad. Um, but I think one of the curious things about Pirlo is he's, he's he's very willing to go and look at the under-23 team that they've got, which was the team he was supposed to be coaching this year. I mean, they played this guy Frabotta, who plays on the left side of, uh, of midfield as a left wing back. He started again against Crotone. They played um, Portanova, who's another... Midfield player, son of Daniele, ex ex player. Um, he was starting against Crotone as well. Um, so you had a very young uh, Juventus team, but one that um, wasn't particularly convincing. Um, they lack tactical discipline. This team, and uh, I think if, if if you win the ball back from them and then play forward quickly, all of a sudden you find yourselves in acres of space and in sort of three v twos against the likes of Chiellini and Danilo, who's not a, a centre back. Um, and they can be got at. Um, so it is quite concerning, I would say, because um, going up against uh, the uh, venerable, uh, wise man of, of European football, Michele Luchescu, um, at, uh, at Denimo Kiev, who I think maybe was in charge briefly when uh, Pirlo was at Brescia. That's right. It was, um, it was Luchescu who gave Pirlo his yeah. debut as a 16-year-old. Here we go. We've got um, very much master and, and, and pupil. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, Kiev have got some, yeah, they've come through the playoffs. They've got some of the players who were, were part of the under-20 World Cup winning team that Ukraine had in 2019, like uh, Suprayaga, uh, their 20-year-old striker, who Andriy Shevchenko has taken under his wing for the national team. Very quick player. Um, which, you know, I think if, if, if Juventus are looking to dominate the ball and play in their opponent's half, there's going to be space for... For Dinama to uh, to break into, so yeah, this 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 loose Juventus team, I think, will will give up some chances. Mm. What's Juve's reaction been to Ronaldo testing positive? Given that he was under quarantine in Turin before the international break, then took a private plane to go and join Portugal, breaking local quarantine regulations, only to then catch presumably the virus while he was out there and thus miss the Crotone match and this opening Champions League game? Well, as with other things that have happened with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo whilst he's been at Juventus, they have defended him, protected him. Um, they haven't commented on it. Um, yeah, I think this is this is a matter uh, for him. He wasn't the only one who, um, it's alleged, broke uh, protocol um, after the 
non-game against Napoli and basically left before they should have to go on international duty. Uh, there, were, there were a few of the South Americans who went away, uh, did exactly the same. Uh, and Ronaldo is the one who has has come back, uh, come back positive. Um, it did lead to a quite an ugly spat um, between him and the Minister of Sport, uh, Vincenzo Spadafora, who, who basically came out and said, look, I, I think that Cristiano Ronaldo has broken um, uh, the, um, the restrictions that we have put in place. Um, Ronaldo came out on Instagram and said uh, he absolutely didn't. Um, yeah, he took a what hospital jet back. All these other things, yeah, that he he claims um, shows he he was above board. But I think, as you mentioned earlier, James, the the bone of contention is the circumstances in which he left Italy uh, when he he perhaps should have still been observing uh, quarantine or observing um, that little kind of bubble environment that Juventus put in place after they had two positives prior to um, the Napoli game. Dinamo have Viktor Shankov, have I said yeah. that right, Alvaro, who, who scored in Ukraine's shot 1-0 defeat of Spain in the Nations League last week. Are Kiev going to do Juve, do you think, Tuesday night? Are they going to spring the big surprise? Well, yeah, because I think uh, still question marks really about the kind of protection in front of Juventus's defence. Um, Federico Chiesa, we should mention, made his debut for Juventus after his deadline day uh, transfer from Fiorentina, set up a goal and got sent off. Um, so I imagine he'll be playing in this game prior to his suspension next week. Uh, I think the big thing uh, as well, which is a positive, I suppose, for Juventus, Alvaro, is that uh, uh, your namesake, Alvaro Marata, actually played pretty damn well in that game. Um, uh, scored a goal, uh, set up a chance for Portanova, hit the post, had a goal disallowed. So... Yeah, they're they're going to be looking to him, I think, again in uh, in in the absence of Ronaldo to hurt this uh, Dinamo defence. But um, yeah, I must say I, I'm I'm not uh, overly confident. You know, as as, as Rino Gattuso, the Napoli uh, coach, said, the reason why Napoli really wanted to play that game and not stick around and hang around in Naples and 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 and. Uh, and basically not fulfil that fixture is they think that Juventus are vulnerable at the moment. Mm. This was the game from the the previous round when Napoli didn't go because of local health uh, advice so, and have currently been docked one point and, and, and seen the game awarded to Juve as a 3-0 victory. All right, well, that's coming up Tuesday night. And the other game in that group, meanwhile, sees Barcelona with Ronald Koeman fresh from his first defeat as Barcelona manager, uh, hosting the Hungarian side, French Varos. Managed by Sergi Rebrov, the French virus have, have had a busy time, but already in Europe this campaign. They overcame Jurgarden back in August, then beat Celtic, and then they uh, defeated Dinamo Zagreb before putting out Mulder to finally claim a place in the group stages. Hey, um, it's not a bad time to be playing Barcelona, is it, Alvaro? Mm, I, I really don't know what to say. Barcelona is still a work in progress. Uh, they can uh, produce a display like they did against Villarreal uh, in the first um, game of the season or play against Getafe the other day. They weren't that bad. I mean, playing against Getafe and losing against Getafe at their ground is not so, it's not so strange given the current level of uh, Bordalas' team. So I think that um, Barcelona, as I said before, they are still trying to consolidate uh, a group of players that they can be competitive again after what happened against Bayern uh, back in August. And uh, I think that uh, 
they will manage to negotiate the Champions League and uh, this week is very important for them because they are playing in Champions League as well and every money from the victory will be welcome for Barcelona because the club has asked the players again to reduce their salaries and uh, and also because they are playing against Real Madrid at the end of the week. So this week mm. is quite important to to know exactly what the level of Kuman's project is and uh, how far into this work in progress we are. Uh, I believe that there are some players that they can still give more at Barcelona. Uh, Lionel Messi has been all right, but uh, he hasn't been anywhere near his best. In fact, from the restart in June, he has scored only five goals from open play, which is not much uh, to, to his standards. Uh, then Antoine Griezmann, we, we all know that he he's not doing great at Barcelona. And at this point, uh, the faith on him is only based on his past performances uh, before signing for Barcelona, but not on on, on what he has done for the club. So uh, Messi and Griezmann can do more, definitely. And um, the young players, they, they have to adapt to Ronald Koeman because Koeman seems to be up for it and seems to be up to give them chances. Serginho Dest or Pedri, a guy who played in the second division last year, uh, they seem to be important for Kuman as well. So, yeah, they are amalgamating the style, uh, trying to mix some youth with some uh, veteran players. And I'm still very curious about how this is going to uh, end up being for Barcelona. I believe that at least this season, Barcelona fans have some expectations. And last year, uh, it was difficult to have some. So, yeah, mm, I think that Barcelona will negotiate this group stage. It was, it's not going to be easy, but they will manage to do it. But the question is, how competitive are they going to be uh, in the knockout stages? Because last season, they they struggled against Napoli at the San Paolo. Mm. And then knockout stages, it, is it? Sorry? I know, I'm saying knockout stages, is it? Yes, <laughs> we've got six Pretty games much. in the group to go before you get there, Alvaro. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, mm. but the thing is that team beaten eight two in their last Champions League outing. We'll see. Such I a know. project, big picture mentality there from Alvaro. Honestly. No, but I mean, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just looking at the at the past, uh, at the past performances, and Barcelona always managed to negotiate the group stage as far as I can remember. So. I think that Ferenc Varos and Dinamo Kiev are not going to be teams that are going to leave Barcelona out of the Champions League yet. But I want to see how good they are in February. At the minute, what I can tell you is that sometimes they are capable of showing some youth and vitality as well, because there are young players in there who are eager to prove themselves. Uh, Pedri, uh, Trincao, uh, Serginho Dest, I think Ricky can be a very important addition to the team. But again, I mean, uh, this is just the beginning of uh, a new project for Ronald Koeman and he couldn't sign the players he wanted. So he's also uh, pretty much a parachuter at Barcelona. He has just arrived and he needs some time. Luchescu's 75. It's kind of amazing that someone that age is, is still operating when he's what, when he first started coaching in. This, well, I mean, to put it into context, when you were in Italy, James. Um, That's true. It's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, oh. indeed. No, no, I, I remember my first season in Italy going to, to talk to him at Brescia as well. So, What did you um, talk to him about? I cannot remember. Presumably Brescia. Um, <laughs> anyway, he said to me, one day, James, we'll look back on these days. So... Um, <laughs> So there you go. That's Tuesday, and it, it it is rich in potential drama and incident and all sorts of intriguing storylines. And the same can be said, perhaps even more so, of Wednesday's games. We'll get on to those next, starting with one of the most intriguing of all, the Ajax-Liverpool clash.
It's the start of lockdown two out there, listeners, so grab your curry verse, dust up your lederhosen, and fire up the umpar band. Thank you. Because it's Oktoberfest, and our friends at Beer 52 want to celebrate the world's biggest beer festival by giving all Totally listeners a free case of eight German craft beers. All you have to do is head to beer52.com slash football and cover the cost of shipping, which is a mere £5.95. Beer 52, as you all know by now, are beer pioneers and they've visited the finest small batch breweries in Germany to bring you ABK, 6% Feistbier, Buro Brauereis, Weizen, Lemkes, Spree Coast German IPA and many, many more. Most of these beers have never, ever been seen in the UK and with Brexit round the corner, well, it's unlikely you'll ever see them again. You can choose a light, dark or mixed case and the best thing with Beer 52 is that there's absolutely no minimum commitment. If you want, you can just take this free case, try the beers and if you decide it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com slash football and get your free case of eight craft beers today. That's the word beer and the number 52.com slash football. One last time, beer52.com slash football for Oktoberfest. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Ajax and Liverpool. Remarkably, they've only been drawn together once before in European competition. It was a a two-legged last 16 tie back in 1967, which saw Liverpool go through 7-3 on aggregate. Having said that, they very nearly met in 2019, when Ajax were just seconds away from reaching a final against Liverpool before pesky Lucas Moura popped up. Uh, since then, being Ajax, they've sold most of the stars who took them to that semi-final. De Ligt, De Jong, De Beek and Ziyech as well. Uh, so who are they this time around? How competitive are they going to be? What are the prospects against the injured uh, Reds from Anfield? Uh, Mikael Jongsma joins us now on the line to tell us a little bit more. Hi, Mikael. How are you? Hello, James. I'm fine. Hope you're well as well. I, I am. Thank you. I, I say Dutch champions, but they're not technically, are they? They were on top when the Eredivisie uh, stopped play in the middle of last, or towards the end of last season, but they were never actually awarded the title, were they? No, but they are the most recent champions anyway, so mm. it's, it's the term reigning champion still applies, I think. Hooray. Okay. Well, I was just mentioning the fact that two years ago, or a bit less, Ajax were a whisker away from the final last year. They were looking good until that really surprising group stage exit on match day six at home to Valencia. How do they look this time around, having once again sold off a couple of really key players? Yeah, it's, it is a bit of a bit of an interesting situation with Ajax because they have bought in quite some talent as well. Uh, they already signed uh, Brazilian Anthony um, ahead of uh, the whole COVID period. Uh, so he was the nailed on uh, substitute for Hakim Ziyech, who had already signed for Chelsea at that point. Uh, and all in all, they have bought quite some interesting players. They were kind of hoping that this period would be um, in their favor because they have so much potential and so many talents that are coveted by many other teams. But in the end, they did lose key players, uh, but they have stacked up on some amazing talents. So it's it's going to be interesting, but it's still very much a puzzle for Erik ten Hag to, to lay at this point because they don't look as settled as they were, obviously, two years ago. Mm. 5-1 at the weekend, which was pretty settled against Herrenven. What are the chances of them doing that against the Liverpool side who will arrive without goalkeeper Alisson and, of course, Virgil van Dijk? 
Yeah, I think I mean it won't hurt their chances, obviously. But Ajax themselves have hardly been uh, supreme at the back uh, themselves either, because they have never really replaced Matthijs de Ligt by a by a top tier defender yet. They have Per Schuurs there uh, paired to Daily Blind, who's a young, promising player, but is still not at that level. Uh, but yeah, going forward, they do look interesting, and they have uh, I already mentioned Anthony as a very interesting player. Dizan Tadic is still uh, doing his thing over there. And the one that really springs uh, to the eye in recent weeks is Mohamed Kudus, uh, a player, a Ghanaian player that uh, came from FC Nordschland and is really lighting up the Eredivisie at the moment. Typically a player that has almost a Frankie de Jong-like skill set, but uh, a bit farther up the pitch. So that's definitely one uh, to get excited for. And all in all, for, for a team that plays in a league like the Eredivisie, their squad is just so big as well, because it's not just Anthony or Kudus. Uh, two of the main signings. It's also Davy Klaassen who has returned from uh, Werder Bremen uh, and he actually made his uh, well his second debut for Ajax at the weekend and managed to score as well. So they have a lot of options and it will be a bit of a guess to see who they will line up with uh, against Liverpool. Mm. Klaassen of course as a former Evertonian will be feeling this fixture especially keenly. Uh, Ajax the lone Dutch side in the competition this year uh, Mikhail, after some well disappointments last time around, is there a lot of national pressure, a lot of expectation on their shoulders? I don't think the expectations are uh, as high as they have been. I think last year the expectations were uh, a little bit higher. Uh, Mark Overmars internally has already mentioned that he sees this as some kind of a gap year when it comes to international success uh, because they've lost a lot of players since they were supposed to uh, meet Liverpool two years ago. Um, of that side that got knocked out by Spurs, six starters are already gone. So that kind of tells you of the rebuilding job that they have to do. Uh, but all in all, yeah, I mean, Ajax are definitely operating on a completely different level compared to other Dutch sides. And outside of the top five leagues and the top sides in the top five leagues, they're probably one of the most interesting and uh, attractive uh, teams to play for at the moment. And that is why you see them still attracting like a really interesting talent as well. So, um, yeah, obviously they're underdogs in this specific game, uh, but they are still uh, very much a force to be reckoned with. Mikael, is it a surprise that Eric Ten Hag is still the manager of Ajax when all of these star players, well, not all of them, but a lot of star players have left on the back of that Champions League semi-final appearance he was certain being linked with Bayern, Barcelona. Those jobs have come and gone. You know what's what's the deal there? Well, yeah, if Hansi Flick wasn't uh, didn't turn out to be such an amazing manager, who knows where Eric Ten Hag would be at this point? Uh, but yeah, it, it is kind of remarkable. But it also shows you that Ajax, uh, their stature has kind of repaired itself compared to a few years ago, when even a mid-table side in the Premier League was seen as a step up for uh, for an Ajax employee. And I think we're very much past that uh, um, stage at this point. It was kind of shown by Hakim Ziyech, who had good options to move away from Ajax before, uh, but he turned down Roma and Sevilla because he didn't really like the project itself enough. Uh, and waited for a step uh, like Chelsea. And I think for Erik ten Hag on a coaching level, it is quite similar. And uh, even though he's a he's a very good coach, last year wasn't that big a success, being knocked out in the Champions League quite early, being knocked out uh, in the Europa League before, uh, before COVID could strike. Um, so it's definitely not... Um, yeah, as as a sweet a story as as it could have been if he left in 2018-19, uh, but he's still very much a respected coach, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, make a move after this year. 
Magnificent stuff. Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us and look forward to seeing Ajax Liverpool on Wednesday night. All the best. Bye. Mikhail Youngsma there. As he mentions, uh, Atalanta in that group, along with Michelin, those two teams facing each other on Wednesday night. Are La Dea going to give everyone else a sporting head start again this year, James? <laughs> I don't know. Am I going to get some lunch? That's, sort of, that's what I want to right. know. Right. Um, but look, Atalanta didn't have the best of weekends. Nope. Um, they got torn apart first half um, by by Napoli. But apart from that, I mean, they've made a very very strong start to the season. Uh, let's not lose lose sight of that. Um, yeah, they beat Cagliari five two. They beat uh, Lazio four one. They beat Torino four two as well. In many respects, they kind of picked up exactly where they left off. They hadn't lost any of their star players um yeah timothy castagna went to leicester um but he was the the backup to robin gosens and hans hatterboer they sold Ahmed diallo traore the um the teenager to manchester united he's still around but you know i mean yeah again he's someone who's played what 26 minutes for them um and they've added um lots of uh, lots of talent around the existing squad so yeah, I think it's been a pattern across Europe really this weekend that the teams that are involved in the Champions League have, uh, with few exceptions, either drawn or lost. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not ready um, to to jump off my Atalanta bandwagon um, or sell my stock in Atalanta as quickly <laughs> as, uh, as, as as some other people are doing. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. Hey everybody, you know what's exciting on Wednesday? Bayern Munich, the Champions League champions, taking on Atletico Madrid. Woof! All right, Rafa, are you excited by this? I am excited about this. I'm not sure that uh, Luis Suarez is after his last meeting with Bayern, but I think it should be really good. Well, 8-2 uh, that time. And of course, subsequently, Bayern went on to win the Champions League. How are they looking this time around? There's been one or two missteps just prior to the international break, but they were back on track with a 4-1 win over Arminia Bielefeld uh, this weekend. You were suggesting, Rafa, last time out, I think that they maybe weren't quite the side that they were back in August. Well, Bayern did look a little bit tired going into the uh, international break. There was that uh, defeat against Hoffenheim where the pressing game wasn't quite right and um, you felt maybe the, the, you know, the problems at the back were being exacerbated by you know, the midfield and the and the attack not working properly. But I must say I was very surprised and impressed with Bayern against Bielefeld. Bielefeld, you know, are newly promoted side. They're not of the worst, um, you know, they're not the best team to um, to grace the league this season, but they still score a few goals and they might stay up. And Bayern were actually sort of near the levels that we saw them back in August uh, when they won the Champions League. They completely overwhelmed Bielefeld. They won the ball back all the time. Müller and Lewandowski combined were totally unplayable. And Hansi Flick was still a little bit critical about one or two defensive situation. Uh, Coco Tolisso was sent off late on because Javi Martinez had misplaced the ball and he had to dive in for a professional foul, which uh, 
got him a red card, but by then Bayern had won the game and sort of taken their foot off the gas. So encouraging signs, I mean, based on the performance um, against Bielefeld, maybe they've overcome some of those tiredness issues and, and, and found a way to kind of deal with it and maybe mentally also found some freshness that was perhaps missing. Mm. Jadeep asking, what's happening with Alfonso Davis this season? Is he getting a break or has Flick found faith in Lucas Hernandez finally? I think there are two parts to this. First of all, I think Flick is trying to rotate as much as he can and, and he wants to give players more breaks, especially the, I think those players in wide positions who have a lot of work to do. And the other reason is that um, Alfonso Davis had some slight issues going into the new season um, with uh, injuries. So I think he's being eased back in. And Lucas Hernandez has been doing a solid job, but of course he doesn't quite offer the same dynamism and uh, and movement that Davis provides. Mm. Is this the, the game of the week, do you think, Alvaro? Atletico Madrid at Bayern Munich? Yeah, possibly. I would say that the, this is uh, very important uh, for both teams and at the same time, the quality of them is going to they are going to contrast against their styles i think that bayern doesn't have a good memory of atletico because in 2016 uh, prevent them to from reaching the, the champions league final and this Old atletico news. is obviously not as good as the one in 2016 but uh, <laughs> they are they are work in progress as well as barcelona are but with luis suarez every work in progress is uh, is better because uh, he is a player who can finally score goals for atletico de madrid and uh, you know, uh, end up the debate about who should play as a number nine for Atletico. Um, this time, on top of that, Diego Costa won't be ready for the game because he, he got an injury uh, this weekend uh, in the game that they won against uh, Celta. And uh, yeah, this is a good time for Atletico de Madrid to go to Munich and try to get something out of them. I mean, Sevilla played against Bayern a month ago and uh, they made uh, Bayern look pedestrian sometimes. Or at least it was toe-to-toe. Uh, well, that's, -to that's a big call. Yeah, but it happened. And I think that if... Uh, who was that? Uh, in a city had a score uh, that one-on-one -on -one with Manuel Neuer, uh, Sevilla will be the... Um, will have been the champion of that final. So uh, it's going to be interesting, definitely. And I believe that Atletico de Madrid uh, shouldn't take as granted as Barcelona should the group stage because they were out a couple of seasons ago. I remember that Chelsea and Roma went through and uh, starting with a point or three points against uh, Bayern would be the best start for them. Also, if Neymar or Angel Di Maria would have scored against Bayern, they might have won the Champions League. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't if my, now. yeah, if my grandmother had wheels, she would be a bike. <laughs> if my grandfather had had three balls, he would have been a pinball machine. <laughs> <laughs> on that note then let's uh, talk briefly about or at length if you prefer the other team from Madrid e, uh, Alvaro who this weekend managed to lose to newly promoted Cadiz I'm talking about Real Madrid you mentioned that the Clasico is coming up next weekend Barcelona against uh, Real Madrid what's going on there? well I think that Real Madrid, uh, they, they ended up winning the title last season thanks to a great defense and uh, they were able to make the most of the only goal they used to score in the game. Uh, normally it was Karim Benzema scoring. So, uh, you know, they were following that script, winning 1-0, winning maximum 2-0 and uh, that uh, they couldn't score against Cadiz the other day and in all fairness, Cadiz had like uh, three or four really good chances to go to the halftime leading by three or four goals at uh, 
at Valdebebas, at uh, Alfredo Di Stefano Ground uh, against Real Madrid, to the point that Zidane was so angry that in the halftime he decided to change four players. Uh, Sergio Ramos, yes, because he, he picked uh, an injury, but I think that he will play against Shakhtar. And the other three, uh, because they weren't just playing, playing well, Lucas, Isco, Modric, they were terrible. And, uh, and yes, Zidane changed the team. Uh, the manager of Cádiz, Álvaro Cervera, uh, said after the game that he thought that Real Madrid was going to be able to, to come back as they normally do. But he made a very good point as well. He said that uh, playing with no fans uh, stops uh, home sides from uh, coming back. It makes it more difficult for them. And in, it's true because Real Madrid couldn't come back the other day against Cadiz. And Cadiz uh, got a victory at Athletic de Bilbao ground with nine men a couple of uh, weeks ago as well. So... I think that he was humble and he was making a very fair point here. The comebacks at home are not, are not happening the way it will happen. Uh, they will happen if the, the fans were at the ground. So Real Madrid are not at their best now. Uh, they are a team that have to do plenty of things collectively well because individually they've got very few players who can make the difference. And this is a new thing at Real Madrid because normally they have had the best players in Europe. And uh, I really want to see how, how they do in what it is for me, the most difficult group in the Champions League, uh, because uh, all the clubs, they, they've got a re really decent level. I wouldn't say that none of them are real candidates uh, to win the Champions League, but at the same time, they, they are all an, a 7 or an 8 or an 8 out of 10 teams. I mean, mm. Shakhtar, if they were in the Europa League, they would be candidates to win the quarterfinals. Um, I said before that Gladbach is uh, quite reliable, and Inter is, you know, is getting better and better under Conte. Mm, tough group, isn't it? Real Madrid traditionally have one or two wobbles at home in the group stages. We saw that with Bruges last season. Shakhtar, their visitors, uh, this Wednesday. But the other two teams in the group facing each other at San Siro, Inter against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. What, what, what do you make of this, James and Rafa? <laughs> well, La Patita de la Latina, as this was uh, known back in, what, the 70s with the, uh, the can that was thrown allegedly thrown at uh, Boninsegna, uh, which allowed Inter to get what was a, a thrashing, uh, basically thrown out and replayed in their favour. Um, but Inter, going into this game on the back of a derby defeat um, to, to Milan, first time that they lost to Milan in four years. They played well, they probably deserved the draw, um, but I think one of the strange things about Inter this season is... They ended last season with the league's best defence, uh, and this season they can't defend. Um, and you know maybe that's because they're playing Alexander Kolarov, um, who is one of those veteran players that Conte likes because and uh, wanted to sign because he's got experience, and experience matters. Um, but whether he has the experience to play in a position that really isn't his own, like a left-sided centre-back, I think remains to be seen. He has played that for Roma City, Serbia, but... Uh, in the Fiorentina game, he was caught out playing there. In this game, Zlatan picked on him um, mercilessly um, and uh, was able to take advantage. And Inter have got uh, players out because of COVID. It's been a major problem in the preparation for that, that game, particularly on that side where Kolarov was playing because they would ordinarily have Alessandro Bastoni, probably the brightest defensive talent in Italian football, playing there. He is back and really available for this uh, this game, so that's a good piece of news. But Ashley Young, for example, um, I think we have to await to see whether he uh, is going to test negative. Milan Skriniar as well, another one of their centre backs, he tested positive. So uh, Nyingalan too. So they've got they've got lots of players who've been affected um, by by the virus. 
Um, I think the the one encouraging thing for them um, is that uh, they are scoring goals. They're scoring quite freely. Um, they could have taken more chances. They created a lot of second half in the derby against Milan, but Lukaku looks very good. I mean, Lukaku is, uh, I think, with Hakimi uh, on that side, I mean, Hakimi will be basically setting goals up for Lukaku um, at such a rate that it wouldn't surprise me if Lukaku finishes top scorer in Italy this year. Um, so um, in that respect, uh, I think it's going to be an open game, as all these games are at the moment. Um, because uh, we're just not seeing teams able to field full-strength teams. Uh, they've had a very short turnaround from one season to the other, and they're affected by COVID, so mental. Rafa, how optimistic are you for Gladbach? Uh, slightly optimistic. I mean, they're not favourites. Uh, you'd, you'd pick Inter um, ahead of them, and, and even Real Madrid with their issues. Um, I mean, Conte in the Champions League hasn't been a love affair exactly, so I have, I have some hope. For, for Gladbach, um, it's the first time for Marco Rosa in the competition. You know, he's quite eager. He's been quite optimistic, quite um, confident in his um, statements, saying, you know, we don't go to uh, to make up the numbers. We approach the, uh, the group stage to, to get out of it. But Gladbach have been in perfect form. They had a pretty dull draw against Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg are one of the best teams defensively and they can have that effect on, on, on teams, make them look very impotent and, and frustrate them. But um, Gladbach have been all right without necessarily being on top of the form yet. Okay. Inter, who were beaten uh, Saturday at San Siro, a 2-1 in the derby by uh, the so far perfect AC Milan, powered by Ibrahimovic. We'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later on. And they've got an interesting game coming up in Europe themselves on Thursday when they will be visiting Glasgow to play a Celtic. But for now, let's just round up the, the, the final Champions League group, which is Group C, featuring Man City, Porto, Olympiacos and Olympique Marseille. It is the big uh, Olympiacos-Olympique clash on Wednesday, while Man City take on Porto. Jules? Yes, that's right. Marseille back in the Champions League uh, for the first time in, in six years after finishing second last year. Andre Villas-Boas doing such a great job over there with limited money and, and budget, for example. Uh, I, I think he's done incredibly well. And it'd be he's very used to things to being tight, of course. Yeah, I mean, but it'd be very interesting to see how they do because this is a group apart from Man City that I think... They can look into and say, OK, Porto are not doing well at all in, in, in Portugal right now. Sergio Contessaro is struggling a bit. It's AVB going back to Porto, which I think would be two very special games. And I think with a bit of, you know, with a bit of luck, Marseille can have the ambition to finish maybe second in that group. So it's very, very important, I think, for them. They started the season with ups and downs obviously there was the win against PhD in Paris which was great for them and after that they struggled a bit more I think to to find a bit of consistency but certainly in terms of talent in, in basically every line they've got really really good players and I think if Tovin has a good Champions League if Camara in midfield has a good one as well if Chaletetsa at the back has one and Mandanda in goal they can certainly I think you know, beat Porto and Olympiacos and cause problems to, to City. So it'd be very interesting. And it's just a shame once again that they won't have any fans at all, not even 5,000, as we were explaining earlier, but just every game behind closed doors at home. Well, first up is that trip to Perez for Marseille, while Man City host Porto on Wednesday night. Very good. Shortly, we'll be talking of Rossoneri. First of all, though, 
Let's get some odds from Lee Price at Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. Lee Price from Paddy Power here. Now, I'm not saying that my laziness has reached new heights, but I have found an ace new way to record this segment without having to inflict my bumbling waffle on anyone. Ah, never mind. A romantic trip to Paris seems just the ticket right now. Unless you are Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer and have to hope that beating Newcastle is enough to reacquaint your fragile defence with confidence. United are lengthy 4-1 outsiders with PSG odds on to win. Speaking of a fragile defence, Liverpool face an apocalyptic future without Virgil van Dijk, according to some very dramatic people. I bet you also believed in the millennium bug. Virgil or not, the Thunderbirds are go for Liverpool. The Reds priced at 7-10 to to beat Ajax. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com and the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. That redhead dude says, are we able to seriously consider Milan as genuine title challengers this season after their perfect start? Question mark. Max Piacentini says, can Milan really do it? If so, would Zlatan be the oldest starting centre forward to win one of the top five leagues? Please don't include Claudio Pizarro in the discussion, says Max. Well, uh, Milan are off to a perfect start, The along with Aston Villa, the only team in the top five European leagues to do that. First time in 25 years, James, they've won their opening four games. They hadn't conceded a goal until Lukaku's this weekend in the derby. What do you think? Yeah, very good. 20 games unbeaten in all competitions uh, through to the Europa League group stages. Obviously, they play Celtic uh, this, this Thursday night. Um, I just think it's indicative of a club that's got its act together, um, is, uh, is well run. Um, you know, in terms of the kind of processes that they put in place uh, for their recruitment, um, you look at the kind of uh, the approach that they've taken. You know, with uh, yes, they've got Zlatan and they've got Simon Kier, two experienced players, either end of the pitch. But other than that, it's a very young team. Um, and Stefano Pioli, um, I mean, in very simple terms, plays players in their best positions um, and has got the best out of them. Um, so, for example, I think one of the real surprises since lockdown is uh, Hakan Chalanolu, who's been extraordinary uh, for them. Um, 17 goals and assists in 12 games, um, scores from outside the area, um, you know, has been, I would say, the key to that team um, as much as Latin has, um, certainly in getting tick going forward. Um, because they've won games without Zlatan. Uh, let's not forget that. I mean, they're, they're undefeated um, without uh, Zlatan in the team as well. I mean, when he had COVID, um, they had those uh, few crazy games in the Europa League against Bodo Glimt and uh, Rio Ave with the uh, the 24 penalties. Um, but uh, I think what's encouraging about them is, is, is they look like a well-put-together team that can defend, that can attack. Um, and they've got players with with upside. There are lots of young players on that team who've either in the last nine months um, started to really fulfil and kick on in their potential. The likes of Benacer, Te Hernandez, and then you look at the guys that they've they've recently signed. Um, Salamakas in January, who's who's doing a really good job for them on the right. Rafael Leao coming, starting to come good. He was their big summer signing um, a year ago. Got an assist in the derby, seems to be able to score without really doing much. So 
can they win the title? I think they're still an outsider. You know, I mean, they haven't been in the Champions League since uh, 2014, uh, which has really hurt them. Their objective is to get back into the top four first. I think that's going to be tricky. But I, I think one of the things that stands in their favour, stands in Atalanta's favour, stands in Sassuolo's favour, um, is that um, they've got the same managers last season. They're building on the momentum that they ended last season with. Uh, and they've got more or less the same squad with a few really good additions in, in there as well. So it's looking good for Milan, James. Mm. And while we think that the likes of Inter and probably Juve will get themselves together sooner or later, Milan at the moment are building up quite a quite a nice head start. What do you think about their prospects then in Glasgow on Thursday? I think their prospects are good. I mean, Celtic uh, lost uh, the old firm mm. you know, against Rangers at the weekend. You know, you never can tell at the moment. I, th- I, th- I think uh, Milan have got consistency. If anything, they've been a little bit looser in the, in the Europa League because those games have tended to coincide with a few injuries, a few COVID positives. Um, they've rotated in that competition. For example, you see Sandro Tonali might come into the team for that game um, after it was Benacer and Kessie in, uh, in, in the derby. So I think it, it depends on how he rotates. Um, but Zlatan's Zlatan. I mean, you know, as he keeps saying, you know, if I if I was in the kind of condition now that I was in in my twenties, or I've had the body of a twenty year old, no one would stop me. And guess what? No one can stop me now either. And to be honest, he's backing it up. He's backing it up. So if Zlatan's playing on Thursday, um, sorry Celtic, I don't I don't see much chance for you. They're already talking about giving him a, a new contract for all that he's Zlatan. How long can he keep this up? I think the, the, the great thing is, I mean, he's got Mino Raiola saying in his ear, I think Mino's quite good with Zlatan because he, he just plays to his ego, which is like, oh, a player like you can't be finishing your career in the in the States. Yeah, yeah, you're better than that. You've still got so much more to offer. You can still cut it at the highest levels, Zlatan. And I think he, he believes it. I mean, that's, yeah, he was talking up them winning the title. I think he's probably got another couple of years obviously it'll depend on injuries I mean it's remarkable that he came back from that knee injury he suffered against Man United mm. uh, suffered for Manchester United when the, when he was there um, he has he has players around him who enable to, to, to Zlatan to be the best Zlatan at the moment which is he's got young fresh players who are able to press and do a lot of running which he can't um, and just allow him to uh to go about dominating centre-backs, scoring goals. Um, I think we've probably still got another couple of years of Zlatan. And, you know, that, that's indicative of, you know, that, that generation of players uh, having a, a higher state of professionalisation than the generation that went before, better nutritioning, better conditioning. Um, you know, we're seeing, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo is going to probably play until he's 45. So, you know, I think uh, this is the new normal in, in many respects. Right, particularly if they're surrounded by 20-year-old bodies. Nice. Uh, which he is, obviously, in, in, in the Milan side at the moment under Pioli. Uh, brilliant. Well, that's Milan on top of the table with Zlatan in Serie A. And Alvaro, way back at the start, you mentioned uh, David Silva's Real Sociedad, who are top of La Liga. Do you want to just see us out with a few words on them? Of course, yes. They, they beat Betis this weekend. It was a controversial game because there were a couple of uh, decisions that uh, went... Uh, in Real Sociedad's favour, uh, I think that uh, that uh, couldn't be overlooked. But anyway, the performance of Real Sociedad was very professional there. Uh, Porto, Oyarzabal and Januzay scored the goals and they got the victory at Benito Villamarín. And Real Sociedad are playing well. They've got a nice style and they really want to 
to put it into practice. They, they've got a local manager and players like uh, David Silva, Mikel Merino, Adnan Januzaj in the midfield. Overall, they are doing very well. They are qualified for the Europa League this season. And uh, in fact, you can see that some of the Real Sociedad players are becoming uh, important elsewhere. For example, uh, the only goal that Spain scored in the international break uh, in October was uh, fabricated by two Real Sociedad players. Mikel Merino gave the assist and Oyer Zabal scored a goal. It's very, very impressive. I don't think that they will be able to to win La Liga, obviously, but maybe they are a candidate to qualify for Champions League. At the minute, with uh, these 10 points they've got, uh, they get a projection of 69 points at the end of the season and that should do to qualify for Champions League. Wow, and they've got a Kosovo's Adnajanasai playing for them. <laughs> yes, Janusa, you should you should see him now. I mean, I think he has worked a lot on the gym as well. A little bit like uh, Canales, the player from Betis, and uh, mm. that is paying off for him. I mean, he doesn't play every single game for Real Sociedad. Uh, he comes in, comes off, but uh, every time he plays, he's adding some uh, quality touch to the team. Okay, who they got on on uh, Thursday night? Uh, they are playing against Rijeka in the Europa League, and uh, they are also. Lined Napoli's up with group. Napoli in yeah. the Europa mm. League, so that's going to be really interesting. Napoli were absolutely flying after that 4 1 win over Atalanta. Uh, they are yeah. hosting AZ Alcatraz. After they didn't fly to Turin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey. Mm. Well, there you go, listener. That, that hopefully set you up for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night in Europe. Of course, you can catch up with Jules and Rafa and James and myself on the Goal Show, uh, bringing you informed comment and action across the Champions League group stages on Tuesday and Wednesday on BT Sport. I look forward to you joining us there. Totally Football Show returns on Thursday morning, so hopefully you'll be along for that one too. For now, it's many, many thanks to Alvaro, Jules, Rafa and James and producer Charlie and you, listener. Have a super week and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.